Hello. Hi, Dan. How are you, John? Oh, I'm good. I'm good, actually. Yeah? Yeah, good, actually. That was that was one of my favorite early 90s movies. <laughs> it's like, say anything, good, actually, good better actually. off dead. Better off, better off died. Uh, I'm good. I had to get up early this morning because of reasons, and then I had a lunch coffee, and uh, now I'm here uh, in my in the zone, <clears throat> and I'm feeling I'm feeling strong. I, I took my truck in to get it repaired, and then the repair guys were like, "Oh, and also your turn signals burned out, and oh, by the way, this, by the way, that." So it ended up. It ended up there doing a bunch of work on it, which is fine. I've been thinking about buying a police car. Oh, like a like a refurb at auction. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're refurbed very much. Really, I think I think they just roll them out of the roll them out of the stock. And, you can get uh, one of those for a song, is my understanding of it. Well, you can, but I don't want just some Crown Victoria. Uh, you know, the State Patrol uses those bi- those big suburbans uh big white suburbans with like push bars and spotlights and uh heavy duty you know cop shocks cop brakes cop motor right um all you need to do is replace the cigarette lighter and uh i really they really appeal to me i don't even like that generation of suburban particularly but when they're totally copped out they really are scary and cool like like a futuristic road warrior uh, highway death machine. And they, they super appeal to me, but they don't, the, those are not the kind that you can get for $6,000 at auction. Right. Clapped out crown Victoria with three different kinds of paint on it. They're like, they're late model. Dan, I've never owned a car that was less than 20 years old. Really? No. So, so I don't know what it's like to have a car that works. If you know what I mean, like every car I've ever owned, the first thing I had to do when I got it home was like get the, get my wrench out and start either taking stuff off of it or putting stuff on it. And in high get school, that was fun though. Like that's kind of what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. My first car was a, was a 74 Fiat Spider, <laughs> which was a super practical car in Alaska. Right. Uh, convertible Italian convertible <laughs> and especially in a in the dark winter yeah yeah it was great and sometimes we would we'd put the top down and we'd put our you know down jackets on and our, <laughs> our uh, ear flap hats and goggles and drive around because we were 16 year old idiots right but that was the car I learned to do emergency brake turns that was the car that I uh, you know I really learned to pre- I perfected driving. Yes, that's that's what's involved in perfecting driving. Is yeah, brake stands and like what do you do when your car spins out of control again? (laughs) Defensive driving one hundred and one. And then my other car in high school was a seventy-four Chrysler um, Imperial, a Chrysler Imperial Coupe, which had a big 440 and I mean, neither car was, was especially good on ice, but so, so so, uh, after that, like I had a, I had a Volkswagen bus. I mean, I had all these impractical cars and I'm considering because I'm, uh, you know, I have things to do, I have places to go that it's not always convenient that, that I have a, 
I have a vintage vehicle where the mechanic is like, well, we had to fabricate that part because they're not available anymore. Mm. We could, we could spend four hours at a junkyard trying to find it, but instead we just, we just made it, built it out of parts. Uh, wouldn't it be interesting to have like a car that only had 40,000 miles on it? Um, like I'm not talking about buy a new car. That's just crazy. But to get a, you know, to get a car that's, let's call it a 2013, 2014. And uh, as I was looking around, it's like, what am I going to do? Buy a Subaru Outback? Like I'm, I don't have a dog. Right. I mean, I'm not, there are rules, right? Yeah. I don't play Frisbee golf. Like why would I have a, why would I have a Subaru Outback? Um, and I'm not against Frisbee golf. I just don't personally, it's not your bag. I have a friend who in the back of his Subaru Outback, he has a a hand or a a home built rack just for his Frisbee golf discs because he, because you have more than one when you play. Oh this? yeah! Is it like golf, where real golf, where you you have a number of different clubs clubs for different situations and scenarios? You ha- would have a different frisbee, or is it? I thought it was played more like like football or something, where there's just as long as you got one in play, no. it doesn't really matter much. No, precisement. It is a thing where <laughs> you have maybe even more frisbee discs, flying discs, whatever they call them, discs. You have even more of different weights and dimensions and flying capabilities than you would even have golf clubs. Um, so he has this this rack built. It we open up the trunk of his car, and I'm sure there's a dog in there, probably <laughs> some in, inflatable floaty bits for his uh, kids. I bet you there's a tennis racket in there somewhere, but also this rack of of just for his frisbee to keep his frisbees organized. So I don't need all that, but I do, as I was looking around for cars, I was like, well, and 95% of the cars on the road, they are an, they're a, a, a personal insult to me because of their complete lack of style. Like I cannot tell a Nissan Leaf from a Toyota Yaris. I wouldn't, and I used to be able to tell every car on the road and I'm exaggerating. Of course I can tell a Nissan leaf from a Toyota Yaris, but I cannot tell the difference between my emotional reaction to those cars, which is zero. <laughs> right. Right. And I do not like to say, I do not like to be a person that says uh, something so practical as a, as a motor vehicle, you need to have an emotional relationship with, but of course you do. <laughs> and these cars are so, dull i drive down the road and i look and i look and i look i'm searching for a single motor vehicle now that 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 just communicates anything to me other than i have missionary position sex with my partner once a month out of a feeling of obligation <laughs> right like that's what every car says like i there's saltpeter in my food and i don't i don't have the money to to buy some <laughs> super expensive thing and even like a contemporary uh 9-11 or dare i say it and i know some people are going to be upset by this but a tesla mm. like i i get that they're cool i get that they're techno technologically cool i get that they're incredible performance cars but the styling is just so bland have you driven or sat in one of those i've sat in one i haven't driven one. i drove one yeah and pretty hot i mean it's it 
it Zero was, to 60 in three seconds? That's two, the weird... Seconds? That is the very, very weird part because, you know, I... I we grew up at the same time period, and I I was just thinking about this the other day. A friend of mine, when I was a kid, had a beat up. I don't even think it ran. I don't know if it had an engine in it, <laughs> but it was at least the shell, the husk of a Porsche. Mm. And it was not a, not nine eleven, not or the nine eleven. Yeah, like one of the ones that that I can't remember what what it was, but it did not. It was not the nine eleven. Right. The characteristic one that was cool and that we all wanted. But this was and it, I mean, and I remember he's always was talking about fixing it up one day and who knows where they what canal they dredged this thing out of. <laughs> and it was, you know, a lot of it had like the matte black and, and you know, primed pieces, not because it, like now that's cool to do. But this is when it was not cool to do and probably like 88. Yeah. And I was very into the sort of the muscle car kind of thing and like i almost bought like an awesome javelin an amc javelin that i was in love with and i was trying to buy there was this in my grandfather's uh condo there was parked in the garage there was this uh challenger that was just amazing early 70s challenger that i really wanted to get that you know like that's what i was into at the time and i kind of came up in that and like if a car drives fast like there's a certain when you put your foot down like you want it to accelerate a certain way and the tesla accelerates and feels so very different the closest thing i could compare it to is uh when you're on like uh um like an air you know how an airbus wants to accelerate like an airbus like an a320 you know and and you kind of feel that acceleration it has a certain feeling to it and you can tell this is a 737, this is an Airbus, you know, like it has that feeling. It's, it feels like that. It's just this crazy, you put your foot down in the car is like instantly at, at 60 miles an hour. And you're like, how did I get to that? And it's just very, it's almost unnerving. But I didn't like it. I didn't like well, you it. You didn't like it. No. I did not like it. I did. I I didn't like like you're saying. I didn't like the styling. It felt very. It was all nice. The yeah. what what went into making the car. You could tell everything was really high quality. It felt really nice, but it didn't feel like a car in the traditional sense to me. And I didn't appreciate the styling of it. It wasn't. It was clearly not 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 a car for me. I'm not its intended audience at all. And uh, and I I. I just didn't, I didn't enjoy the idea. I didn't, I don't think I would have enjoyed owning it as a car. I think it was a very fun experience to drive though. And it felt like I was flying an airplane, (laughs) but not, not a car I want. Well, I feel the same. I feel the same way about almost every, almost every car I can think of. They seem like after a certain time period built after a certain year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and and it's the Malays years of the of the Carter administration. I mean, anything made in America, like I never liked a Fox body Mustang, uh, for instance, like all those 80s Mustangs. I just never I never dug it right. Uh, Iraq Camaro never really appealed. What to about me. the Iraq Z? An Iraq Z didn't. I mean, you know, the Iraq Z was as cool as you were going to find. But like the, 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 that first 
iteration of the Corvette that came out in 83 or something that was, that, uh, had a, had a digital speedometer <laughs> and no longer looked like a, like a shark or yeah. a Python. Yeah. Ah, I just wasn't into it. And, and since then, as cars moved like post 1984 Ford Thunderbird, which was the first car that truly looked like a lozenge. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every subsequent car, oh, you know, and then the worst, then the Taurus, the Taurus. Yeah. yeah I knew you were going to mention the yeah. Taurus. The I Taurus dated a girl who, who had a Taurus and her brother-in-law junior fixed it up for her, brought her it down off the blocks on the front yard and made it drivable. His name was junior. Y- yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as he, he spoke very little English, you know, the, uh, the Taurus had a, had a, had a performance iteration called the SHO uh, that was... Was that the one the cops used? No, it, it actually sort of counterintuitively, the SHO ha- had only a six-cylinder motor, but it was made by Yamaha. And so it was <laughs> like really highly tuned six-cylinder oh. motor, but it was still a lozenge. And since then, they all look like lozenges, except for... The um, except for the ones that are styled either kind of retro or kind of like retro futurist, (laughs) which all seem like they are designed for children, like for little boys or little girls who are playing with a toy car like a Fiero. Uh, Fiero, right, was like a toy Ferrari. But I'm talking about the ones, (laughs) the new ones like the. the super customizable ones. Oh, like the kit, almost like a kit car kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. or the, the little cube-shaped ones. Oh, I hate those. And especially the What American, is it about these that, that just rub us the wrong way? Yeah, they're just wrong. They're just for little babies. The only things I can actually get behind contemporary cars that seem kind of cool are those Subaru little coupes, the little hatchback Subarus that, that they're not hatchbacks, though. The ones that... that the Japanese car customizers fit with big, crazy mufflers and are then they're made for like rally. I, I'm into those. Oh, those actually I know what you're talking about, where they've got the big, big spoiler and the huge air intake. And and they're just they, it seems like they're built for sort of off the shelf customizing. And they're yeah, they're they're little WRXs. They're like little little fast, like get up and goers. Yeah. But they don't appeal to me as a thing I would drive. They just when I see them on the road, I'm like, well, there's somebody that's got a little bit of flair. I think it's the Subaru Impreza WRX. Yeah. Rum yeah. rum. Yeah, yeah. But so for me, I'm 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 entering this place where the only modern car that has any sass is a used cop car. And the only thing that has sass about it is I know that it's been built for abuse. And also, it looks like a cop car. So whatever, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a creep that rolls around in a cop car, like acting like a cop. <laughs> you just pop your own light up there, and no, and the thing is, start you, police in town. You know, see, so make sure everything's the way you think it should be. But like, I like to drive around at night in industrial areas, seeing what they're making in the factories. Right. Yeah, of course. And I who like doesn't? To, who you know, you drive up to to a factory. It's obviously there's a smelter in there. They're they're melting they're melting scrap metal. Are you welcomed to 
to these things when you show up or is it all covert? Well, no, it's not covert, but like there's people in there working. It's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> They're working the night shift because they don't want to cool the smelter down. And over the years, like back when I had my Ford van, my 15 passenger Ford tour van, right? A, a Ford van, a long Ford van is in some ways invisible because it just seems like it's a transporter. It's just moving people around. It doesn't, it doesn't read like I'm up to no good. Right. It just reads like, yeah, I'm ferrying some people from the, from back from the, the engine room or wherever. Uh, and that enabled me to go around town and sneak around basically because uh, you were invisible. And then when I had a black Jetta, the black Jetta is a different kind of invisible. If you're, if you're driving around an industrial area in a black Jetta, you are not invisible. Oh, like right. what, what the hell is that guy doing down here? He's a sketcher and he's looking for a place to smoke crack. <laughs> but a black Jetta in like the city, it's completely invisible. Black Jetta, Black Jetta is invisible in town, right? Um, the the green suburban that I have now isn't invisible anywhere. At least I don't think it is no, because it's, it's such such a beautiful truck. If you're not looking at it, then you're a dummy. But I kind of like that invisibility. Well, so a cop car is definitely not invisible, but it is. It's not a thing that anybody's going to be like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> if anything, when a cop car pulls into your parking lot, everybody, that's when everybody takes a coffee break, right? Because they're like, shit, I've got a half ounce of weed in my pocket. Like a cop car gets you. I would never, I would never pretend to be a cop, but it's not, it's not my fault. If people see my car <laughs> that I got a good deal on yeah. and then they decide to start behaving differently. That's not my problem. Right. I'm not misrepresenting myself. I'm just driving my, driving my discount car. If I'm driving down the freeway at a healthy clip and there are people that are driving like idiots and they see a cop car or I'm sorry, they see a former, uh, a car that was formerly used by a, a, a city or state agency mm -hmm. in their rearview mirror and they decide to, to change lanes. Right. And get it's a, not your fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. Um, the fact that I look personally sort of like a cop or like a, so? when I was young, I got that all the time. I'd walk into a part like a drug situation. And this was back in the day when people when when the, when the, the myth was that if you asked a cop whether or not he was a cop, he had to say yes. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember that? This right. was back Back in the day when people would smoke some pot and they'd have a bad reaction and their first thought was that somebody had put PCP in yeah, their pot. A wet daddy that? or something, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, oh yeah, those people that have PCP <laughs> are totally giving it away uh, by putting <laughs> it on pot that they're selling to anonymous teenagers. Yeah, that's what they want to uh, do. That's what you oh, had PCP. Yeah. You just kept some of that. And oh, if a jerk sure. wanted, you know... To bum it off, that's that was what you had it for. I thought. Sure, PCP was so cheap yeah. and so readily available. Why wouldn't you sprinkle it on pot that you were going to sell for the same price as normal pot? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that that was what that was what everybody. I still talk to people that are like, "Oh yeah, I don't smoke pot anymore because one time I had some that was laced." It's like, really, you had some that was laced, huh? Hmm. 
Uh, you sure you just didn't freak out one time on pot? <laughs> because that seems a lot more likely to me. But during that period, another, another piece of conventional wisdom was that if you said, are you a cop? The cop had the, like he, the, would, he or she was legally obligated to yeah. tell you at that point, you got me. You, it's, yeah. it's just like I've heard. Maybe you can tell me if this is true, that if if you're being like tailed or if there is a private investigator like following you, that if you acknowledge them or point at them or like indicate that that you see them, yeah. that they have to break off the, the tail. Uh. <laughs> is that true? Uh, uh, no, that is not true either. Um, all of these things are, I don't know, I don't know exactly who starts these, these things, but like if a detective is engaged in like, uh, an investigation of you that they've spent many, many hours on and are, you know, like an undercover agent that is in a, that's in a drug buy situation where his life is at risk. And the guys are like, are you a cop? And he's like, yeah, yeah you right. got me. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it cool if I leave now because <laughs> right. I am a cop? Right, busted. I'm, Sorry, I'm guys. Back out of here, real slow. Um, oh, and also all this PCP is laced, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. The pot is laced. <laughs> um, no, none of that is real. But I used to go to. I'd be in drug situations all the time, and they, and guys would be like, "Are you a cop?" like no i'm not a cop i want to get some drugs and they're like yeah but are you here to get some drugs like a cop no i'm not a cop i want some i i sure i look like a cop i guess i do kind of i did kind of look like a cop and i would get that all the time and then i then i realized that it that it worked to my advantage that i could go into situations that were far far sketchier um uh, than we have ever known, right? The, that um, the best of times and the worst of times. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and I and I had a little bit of immunity, a little bubble around me that was just that extra two seconds I gained by people, you know, by people in that culture having to having to look at me twice, right? Mm-hmm. Having to mm-hmm. having to guess whether or not. I was able to call in backup and of course cops don't actually look like me. Cops have a, have their own detectives have their own vibe. Hmm. It's not like me, but drug you're sort of the, the stylized imaginary version. Yeah, exactly. I'm like a TV cop and, uh, and you know, drug people are idiots too. So, or like criminals (laughs) are not the ones that are, I'm sorry. Low level street criminals are not the are not the brainiac cop detectors. Like yeah. maybe they're maybe the the higher level guys can tell a cop from a non cop. But and I and I learned to. But like there were a couple of one time I was on a I was on a city bus and there were a couple of kids that were really 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 hassling uh, the other three people on the bus and yeah. I was sitting way in the back and I was watching these kids and they were just they were kind of moving around the bus. And the driver was very, uh, was obviously very afraid of them. And he was just pretending. And we were in a stretch of town that like there was nowhere to, you couldn't pull over, right? It was just a long, dark stretch of town. And these kids were like, like um, actively harassing bus riders 
who mostly were like little old people going home from their late job. Yeah. And I was way, way in the back. It was a, one of those double long buses. And I was like, well, shit, the bus driver's not going to do anything. These poor people can't defend themselves. And so I got up and walked to where these kids were. And I just sat on the bench immediately behind them, uh-huh. implacable. And they turned around. They were like, what's up, man? You know, like, and I just sat there and smirked at them. Uh-huh. And so they moved across the aisle and I moved across the aisle right. and just sat right behind them. And I did that three times and they were, they were like, shit, this guy's a cop. Right. And I can totally so, see that. Right. And so the bus pulled over to the next or like, actually one of the kids got up and pulled the chain. Ding. Really? And the bus pulled over and they were like, fuck you cop. <laughs> and I just kept that same look on my face of like nothing. Zero. Right. right. And they got off the bus and then the bus door closed. And I, you know, I stood up at that point looking at it cause they were still looking at me, looking at them out the window. And I was like, ha ha and made the jack off sign. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and then they were super mad. Oh yeah. And chased after the bus, but the bus driver was glad they were gone. Of course. And I thought it was really funny. Everybody, uh, the, the problem uh, for that uh, in that situation was that none of the uh, other, like none of the little old people, gave me a round of applause. Where wow. was my parade? Like right. they didn't even say, "Hey, thanks." I think they were all so embarrassed and ashamed of having been bullied by these teens right. that they were just glad the situation was over. Yeah, no doubt. But but I kind of went to back to the back and put my feet up on a chair and was like, "That's right. I look like a cop." Right. Um so that that type of thing happened periodically, but it's not like I can totally see it now. But if you look at me, so let's say, let's say I'm driving in a late model suburban with tinted windows, a spotlight, a push bar, cop wheels. Yeah. And I pull up and I jump out in all of my like white bearded hipsterness. I kind of look like a TV detective lieutenant, right? Like, as, well, especially from the, from the seventies time period, especially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a CSI type. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, again, not like I would ever play that up or do anything with that. No, you just want the car for no, I can't, yeah, that's no real right. reason. I, I can't help what other people do. No, the reason is that I, that I want, in addition to a car with some style, Dan, I'm always looking for an apocalypse vehicle. Apocalypse Be- vehicle. Yeah. You need an, you need to make sure that your, that your vehicle doesn't require sophisticated technology in case of an electromagnetic pulse. Right. And I think that the, I think that the new cop cars would have onboard computers, obviously that would, um, that would be affected by an electromagnetic, electromagnetic pulse, which is why I have the 79 suburban. Do you have other sort of things in place in case of this scenario or just the vehicle at this point? Well, it's not a question so much of, of being in place as it is not, depend not being dependent upon technologies right like i would never have a i would never have a situation where my doors like doors i i needed to get through were electronically locked because that's a situation that can fail in a way that a key never will 
Yeah. And so forth and so on. Like I try to make, I try to, as each new technology comes online, like I, I love my phone, uh, obviously, but like my family, for instance, has a plan in place for if the cell network goes down. Do you have like a like, meeting, a meeting place? Or? That's right. Yeah. And, and we know, and, and not just a meeting place, but we have rehearsed what we do in the event that the cell network goes down and there, and it's, and it goes down as part of some other disaster or, uh, or civil unrest where we all need to be thinking about one another and one another's location. Offline, like we need, will you share some of the details of this so that I can reproduce <laughs> sure. it in my own life? <laughs> sure. Okay. But like, you know, there are a lot of friends that I have that have that, are, that enthusiastically embrace new technologies and just little by little, it's not just a question of eels attaching themselves, but no, no, none of us think of, of the fact that all of our cars are controlled by computers now. And, more and more controlled by computers and those computers are a hackable yes and b like completely fragile why why are we the only ones that seem bothered by this other people say oh my god you believe they hacked that jeep and made it apply its brakes and and everyone's like yeah can you believe that and that that's just it then they just <laughs> go on to the next like the next email or something and it, yeah i think people assume they assume that they are are Everybody thinks they're virtuous, right? Even people that are doing terrible, terrible things feel that they're, they personally are virtuous. Like Bernie Madoff, if you asked him, he would have a, he would have a hundred different rationalizations and explanations for what he did. And ultimately his, his last defense would be, look, I'm a good person. I just blank. You know, I just felt fell prey to a thing or I just accidentally slipped on a banana peel and uh, and took several billion dollars from a bunch of retirees. But everybody thinks they're virtuous. It's the rare person that's like, no, I'm a sociopath. And so everybody thinks, well, who's going to hack my car? I'm a good person. The only people whose cars get hacked and whose identities get stolen and whose you know, uh, who get killed in an uprising are bad people. Right. Um, so, and I'm not, I'm not some chemtrails anti-vax conspiracy theorist that thinks that, uh, thinks that there's going to be an uprising exactly. And I'm not looking, I'm not ready for, I'm not ready to go, go out and say publicly that I think people are stealing identities and hacking on such a regular basis that, any of us are really that in danger. You know, like Merlin is always mad whenever I tweet a picture of my computer because he <laughs> thinks he's pretty sure that people can look at the computer and tell, well, and I know that this is true because people say, say it to me all the time. Like they can just see the vulnerabilities of it. And they, you know, like I took a picture of my keys the other day yeah. as a, as an example of this and to put them online. I was like, come at me. Come at me, bros. On on Instagram, you did this? Yeah. And then a bunch of people were like, dude, I could totally make duplicates of all your keys from with my... I remember you doing that. Yeah. Right, with my 3D printer. Right, right, right. And and my attitude about it is like, yeah, all right, go ahead. Uh, make a duplicates of my keys, Instagram followers, and come and key into my house yeah. and steal my silver bar. Uh it, the challenge isn't that you could do it. Like who is going to fucking do that? 
And if they, if they're that crazy, if they're listening to this program, I feel like they've already passed a certain test, a certain group of tests that they have an interest in these things, but they are not especially, they are not criminally minded. Let's say generally Uh the sociopathic ones are, uh, are maybe learning uh, great techniques, but they, they don't want to come at their, um, they don't want to come at their teacher. No. No. Right? No. Of course not. No. So I feel I feel pretty confident that well, and also my identity would be a little bit harder to steal just because if somebody is like I'm John Roderick, like I'm findable, you know what I mean? Like yeah, a, easily. Like it's it's not like it's not like going through a graveyard and stealing the identity of a seven year old that died in nineteen sixty eight. It's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I suppose some, some, uh, Ukrainian thugs could, could get a, you know, get a new mortgage on my house or something. I'm just not that worried about that stuff. But the electromagnetic pulse is the thing that you, that nobody's ready for. Right. Nobody expects the Spanish inquisition no. and nobody thinks there's going to be a 9.2 earthquake. I mean, everybody does, but nobody thinks it's going to be today. And so you walk around like I just the other day I I sat in at an active shooter training session. I saw you there. Well, yeah, I mean, but, I wasn't there. I saw the picture that you posted. Yeah, the, like a like a SWAT instructor and the lieutenant of the local precinct and some other cops put on this thing for um for bouncers and people in the entertainment business. Like, here's what you do in an active shooter situation because these, you know, the bouncers are the first line of defense and Seattle has a really vibrant, um, like show security culture Uh in a way that, that it seems very unlikely that something like pulse could happen the same way it happened in Seattle. Because anytime you walk into a club or approach a club here with any kind of like suspiciousness, there's already five sets of eyes on you and they're talking to each other into their headsets, right? Like I've, I've got a lot of friends in that line of work and you stand next to them at a show and the whole show, they're just like, see that guy in the red shirt. What's, what's, what's under his shirt. See, what is that girl? You know, what's that girl up there doing the one in the, you know, the, in the sparkly blouse and they're just, they're scanning all the time and they're talking to each other about what they see. So these people are at this, this uh, active shooter training and the SWAT guy is a, he's a, a cop who's been trained or has, has taken some classes on how to present, right. How to like Ted talk a room Mm. and cops are corny. Like even the funniest cop is corny dad humor cop. And so this guy's giving an active shooter training where we're listening to the actual nine one one calls that are coming from inside these various places where 14 people are killed. It's pretty intense. And, and then he's just making these corny jokes about like, well, then, then I put a pickle in a pear jar. It's like, what, what does that have to, that's weird. Yeah. So uh, the security guys are all, they're super, they're not corny, right? uh, Club security in Seattle, at least they are, they're mostly come from the punk alternative, like punk metal scene. Uh-huh. It seems like they're all, they're all pretty, 
they're all pretty black metal speed metal culture and they're not they're not funny they're not pretending to be funny they're all kind of badass and and they're looking at this cop and they're like well what no seriously like pickling a pear jar notwithstanding what do we do when somebody busts in and with a long rifle and start shooting. And ultimately the SWAT guy was like, well, the truth is that you're on your own. By the time the police get there, um, it's always over. And at one point he, he said, I'm going to leave, uh, through the front door here and, uh, take your phones out, get the stopwatch setting. And the, at the first sign of trouble, uh, start your stopwatches. And so he walks out and he's gone for a while and we're all sitting in the room going like, I don't know what's, what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden from the back of the room, he walked into the building through the kitchen uh-huh. and he starts going bang, bang, bang. And he's walking down the aisle, putting his fingers to the back of people's heads mm-hmm. right behind their ear and just mm-hmm. going bang, bang. And we all start our stopwatches at the first bang. Right. And by the time he gets to the front of the room, he's like, stop. And we stop our stopwatches. It's like, how long was it? 14 seconds. How many people did I kill? Nine. And you go, oh, shit. That's crazy. And so he says, look, the, what you need, the, your number one thing that you need is situational awareness at all times. If you're in public, don't look at your phone. Like if you're going to look at your phone, go pull off somewhere Get into a little cubby hole. Look at your phone for a right, minute. Right. But don't walk down the street looking at your phone. Don't stand in the middle of a crowded club looking at your phone. You've lost all situa- situational awareness. And the difference in a situation like that of an event that's going to last 14 to 30 seconds is the two seconds of awareness that you would have that otherwise you wouldn't if you weren't looking around and if you weren't on if you weren't aware of the fact that you're in a public place and there's always something unpredictable that's that can happen. And he said, and so the security guards were like, well, I'm responsible for these 900 people. And the cop said, kind of surprising everybody. He was like, well, that's extremely noble, but there's nothing you can do. If somebody wants to kill uh, nine to 50 people, you can't, you can't be responsible. For 900 people, you can be the only way you can be is to be way out in advance of this person ever getting into the club. Like that's your responsibility right? is to have systems in place where it's not possible or whether or where it's where the possibility is reduced. But once the guy's in in the room, once he's come into your business, once he's uh, on a rampage, like all you can do is get out the get out the window. And we're all like, whoa. But it reminded me of this situational awareness that I try to always practice, which is if you're out in the world, you're like, what happens if there's a 9.2 earthquake right now? What happens right now if somebody starts shooting? What happens right now if, you know, and this, this all comes from when I was a kid uh, where it was like, what happens if you see a flash in the sky? Right. What do you do? You've got five seconds hopefully before the before that shock wave followed by superheated air right i used to think about that all the time right i mean we were as we were kids it was just like 
when the uh, and the thing is, if it, if we were really under attack from the Russians, it's very unlikely that there would just suddenly be an airburst and there'd be no you wouldn't you wouldn't see it coming right. There'd be sirens or there'd be some amount of there'd be some advance warning. Sure. But but we were taught that there wouldn't be that. Right. It would we, just be, we were taught that there could be a full on surprise attack that you're just going about your business and you you look up in the sky and there's a flash. What do you do? Yeah. And all that stuff about like, if you dive into the gutter and protect your face in the corner between the curb and the, and the street that will, and even, even though your back and shoulders and buttocks are, you know, suffer third degree burns from this explosion, right. at least you, you will survive that you'll survive it. And, you know, like, so take cover anywhere you can, and all this crazy preparedness for uh, for that apocalypse, and it it just got in me so that walking down the street, I'm always looking like who's the who's the freakiest person on the street? Who's the most unpredictable person that I can see right now? Uh, and when you're on the highway, the same thing. Which one of these cars is behaving? Even mm-hmm. just the tiniest bit of subtlety in the way that car is proceeding down the road or the way that car looks that that suggests that that's the most unpredictable person in my field of vision. And that amount of just situa- situational awareness leads to certain choices where it's like, well, I give myself a slight advantage if my car isn't computer controlled. I give myself a slight advantage if my car is four-wheel drive. I give myself a slight advantage if I always have a knife on me. Not a knife, not, not like a killer knife, but just a knife that can cut rope right. or twist ties or, you know, that, that can cut wood or can gradually chip away at cement, you know, just a tool. And that's the logic behind the keep a small backpack, too. We would like to thank Harry's. Harry's Harry's.com. Stop compromising on your shave and get started with Harry's. For too long, you've either paid too much for a comfortable shave or you've settled for a low price but low quality razor. This is true. Harry's offers something you've never had before, a great shave at a fair price. Harry's makes its own high quality razors. They cut out the middleman and they ship them directly to you for half the price of a leading brand, which by the way, you're going to have to go buy locally and get someone to unlock the the, uh, the case for you, etc. Good shave, great price. It's simple. Get the best of both with Harry's. I use the Harry's razors. People say, oh, Dan, you got a beard now. I guess you can't talk about Harry's. I don't have a beard growing down from underneath my n- neck all the way down. Like, no, I'm a decent human being. Still have to shave. What about the part ab- above your beard on your cheeks? Like, you've got to use something, people. And if you don't have a beard or if you just have a mustache or whatever, this is a wonderful everyday shaving experience. Good shave, great price. Here's the deal. $5 off your first purchase. If you use the promo code roadwork, one word. So go to harrys.com and check out. They've got this really, really nice set, the Truman set. This is the ideal starter set. It's the place to begin. It's usually 15 bucks. You get the razor handle. You get the shave cream. You get three of their German engineered razor blades. But $5 off of that if you use that code roadwork. So harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. 
Code is roadwork to get five bucks and you'll be helping to support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. Any kind of Faraday cage or anything for you could just chuck your electronics into if you were, you know, starting to worry. No, no, because I'm not. Most of my preparation is is geared toward a future where technology is inoperative. Where having a phone would be nothing more than something to maybe play games on until the battery finally died. Right. Like you're, you are, you're hiding in a basement and, um, and you've got, uh, yeah, six more hours to play, but bejeweled. Right. And then it's just a little brick. Like my mom, the other day, there will never be anything to connect that phone to wirelessly again. Yeah. Or not, not for a while. Yeah. Like I went over to my mom's house the other day, just a week ago. And she was like, here, come help me test this out. And it was a solar powered and hand crankable shortwave radio that my mom had bought somewhere. Right. And she's like, let's see, let's see how good this is. And so we set it out in the sun and we look at, you know, she and I are both like watch a, watch a pot boil type of people. We're sitting and chatting, but we're looking at this shortwave radio and kind of counting how long it's been sitting in the sun. And then we go turn it on. Works great. It picks up all sort of citizen band and, and um, it's a, it's, you know, it's not a transmitter, but it's certainly like a, like a good way to, to monitor all that stuff. We listened to the Marine frequencies for a while. And then she was like, all right, now crank it. How, you know, how much power can you put into it by sitting in hand crank? And I sat and hand cranked it for a while. And I was like, well, look, if we need this, this will work fine. It's not, I'm not going to sit here and test it. I'm not going to put it through, uh, like impact tests. Yeah. Like, yeah, this thing actually works. It's not a toy. Um, handy, I guess. Considering what, considering that it's not expensive and it doesn't take up a lot of space, why not have it? Uh, it doesn't maybe it doesn't fit with a mid-century modern spare decor. You have to have a place for it right in the garage, right. let's say. But, you know, that's also the it's also the social thinking like my mom and I disagree on one particular thing, which is that she, although she has a stockpile, considerable stockpile of food and and uh, like defensive elements and she's she's turned her house into not a bunker exactly but it's there it it's there measures have been taken to make it a survivable place but she's like look my neighbors if my neighbors need help if i can if i can take my neighbors in i will and i'm like ah but where do you draw the line yeah you know people all over this neighborhood right you can't support 60 people and she's like, well, let me figure that out. But I'm not going to leave my neighbors out in the cold. Like, oh, all right. All right. Have you it's- seen that movie, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane? No. You need to see that because it addresses, it addresses this very issue. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm saying you should watch it because it's about this. 
Okay. I will uh, <laughs> right now. Go watch it. To, to no, I think you'll. I think you'll. Late. You'll appreciate it. Yeah, it's by like a J.J. Abrams didn't do it, but it's his production company. I guess behind it. I don't know if that's a plus or minus for you, but <laughs> it's. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely. I mean, I'll. I'll. I don't want to give anything away about this movie, other than to say this is sort of the topic of. Uh, there, there is a, there is a bunker and I'm not giving anything away that if you, if you were to look at the 10 Cloverfield lane promo poster, it shows the bunker. So I'm not giving anything away. Um, Mm -hmm. but there, there are people in a bunker and there is uncertainty as to whether or not an event, a world ending event has taken place or not. Mm -hmm. Are they down there? for the right reasons or oh, not. Oh, right. This is, this is also one of the old, um, the old apocalypse canards, which is what if you think the apocalypse is happening and it's not right. And then you're down in your bomb shelter for 75 and, years, you know, waiting. Right. Right. Just down there waiting. There is an old twilight zone or not an old twilight zone. One of the newer, perhaps newer twilight zones or movie, uh, TV show in that, vein that must have come out in the 80s sort of at the height of all of this where it there was a guy who was absolutely positively sure that any day he was going to look up he was going to see the flash he had seven seconds and what would he right. do and and uh so he had been fully prepared uh for everything and he had built a bunker beneath his house and he had antennas and he had air purifiers and the whole works and he, um, I guess he, something happened and he saw the flash and he did everything and he got down into his bunker. But unfortunately he had for, he had been, I think he had been showing off, perhaps he'd been showing off the bunker to his friend or something like that and didn't have the antenna, which would have allowed him to receive radio frequencies. He had the antenna oh. still up. So it was destroyed in the blast. The blast was real. It did happen. But as, so he... Uh, he had no idea what was going on, and then his friend, of course, who's been out, who didn't believe him or whatever, it was outside, and is like, "Let me in! Let me in! Everything smells like burnt plastic." He's like, "I can't let you in. I'm sorry." And he's like, "I'm dying." He's like, "I'm sorry. I can't let you in." So, meanwhile, he's down there, just prepared to spend the rest of his life alone in in this bunker, and then it is revealed that it was not actually an uh, an atomic war; it was some kind of nuclear accidental nuclear explosion that uh but the rest of the world was fine and the outside the city limits was fine and he could have been rescued but would never be rescued because he was down forever in his bunker right but that's a real thing and that's a real concern you know it's an element of the uh the last surviving japanese soldier in the pacific right just holding holding the line who was decades later there, yeah, there, that's that's an actual thing that there were still guys out in uh, in Borneo or something who thought the war would who, who didn't believe that Japan would ever surrender. Right. And so when they would see. When they would see modern people uh, wandering around, they figured it was some kind of, you know, they they did believe maybe that the Americans had taken their island. Right. And they needed to be. I think they vigilant. call them Japanese holdouts, uh, stragglers, or something like that. Who are? Do I have the term right? I'm gonna have to look this up on the internet. Yeah, everybody should go find uh, 
Everybody should go find the stories. Oh, Japanese holdout is exactly right. All right. I'll, yep. There uh, it is. I'll put that in the show notes. But so there's a there's a whole culture now, and I and it's part of the. Um, Oh, uh, about the Japanese holdouts, you should actually go read the stories of some of those people because it's extraordinary what right. they, they, they Their patriotism was so strong, their belief in their country and their leaders was so intense that they could not believe that Japan, because they didn't know about the bombings, they didn't know about anything, but they didn't believe that Japan would ever surrender. And any any attempt to convince them or, or any news that they heard, they immediately said, this is this is." our enemy's propaganda. There's no way that we would have done this. If anything, this continues to, to further our unwillingness to give in and that, and, and they just continued to for a long time. Right. Well, I mean the last one I think, uh, was found in 1980. My God. Uh, still in the Philippines living in a hut, still fighting the war. In any case, there, as part of this like uh, curly Q mustache Macklemore haircut uh, culture of people that admittedly, I, my 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 Venn diagram overlaps them slightly, like my that that whole relationship that I used to have with the Filson brand, which is now on shaky ground. Oh no! Um, you know the the desire to have nice things nicely made. Um, but of course it's been, I, I, I don't want to say ruined, but it's, it's been co-opted certainly and turned into a kind of a different style of materialism. It always was materialism, let's be honest, but a different, but now it's a different kind. And, and I don't want to use the word fashion pejoratively because what the, you know, 99% of everything is fashion. If you want to get ugly about it. No, it's just a thing where. But there, but there's a, but part of one of the adjuncts of that culture is this uh, subculture called everyday carry mm-hmm. or EDC. And I do not want to, I do not want to suggest that anybody should go down the, the K hole of everyday carry, but um, it's this, it's this thing of this idea that I you just, should, I never heard the term K hole before. Really? K-hole is a slang term for the subjective state of disassociation from the body, commonly experienced after sufficiently high doses of disassociative anesthetic ketamine. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> is that a term in the <laughs> that should be in? <laughs> God, that's great. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> the state may mimic the experiences such as catatonic schizophrenia, out-of-body experiences, or near-death experiences, and is often accompanied by feelings of extreme derealization, depersonalization, and disorientation, as well as temporary memory loss and vivid hallucinations. Yeah, that's not where you want to go. <laughs> no. You don't want to go into a state <laughs> where you're leaving your body uh, down a K-hole. K-hole. And you can get into those states... <laughs> On the internet, right? Like it's a, it's a, uh, it's a place that I find myself on the verge of quite often where I'm like, wait a minute, how did I, where am I? Why? I I don't feel my limbs anymore. (laughs) I have been, uh, I've been looking at the artwork of world war one vets for, uh, what seems like 14 hours. Why am I, how did I get here? 
how did I get into this weird place um, where I'm now, you know, I'm now ext- extremely paranoid and hallucinating <laughs> because I've filled my mind to the brim with, um, with like what seemed very important at one point And now I realize is complete ephemera. Right. But so the everyday carry cult is an extension of this idea that you should leave the house with in your pockets or in your little shoulder bag, all the equipment necessary to survive for a year or something, you know, like you should have a fishing line and you should have a microscope and you should have a boomerang and, uh, you know, just like, and all of this should be in these super tight groovy, um, like kerned little tabletop of gear, first aid kit and throwing star and extra shoelaces and espresso maker, all that all condensed down into a, into a a little grouping the size of a McDonald's hamburger that is available to you. That's, that's with you at all times. That's the secret, right? You, it doesn't matter how great your small bag is. If the shit goes down Mm. and you don't have it with you, right? The shit could Dan go down, could go down. The shit could go down. The shit could go down. Now, when you really, when you really get into like, is the shit going to go down without any warning? The only things that the only, the only shit really that goes down without any warning is an earthquake. Right. Like what are the other shits that could potentially go down with no advance warning? We were raised though in, in the eighties to think that this could absolutely happen. There would be no warning. Remember that movie the day after? Oh, well, sure. Everybody does. I mean, Every, everybody that's old. Yeah. That, that movie scared the crap out of me. But now, now that we are not 11 year olds who are being propagandized to by like the paranoia shock troops yeah. of the Reagan administration. Yeah. What, as you are preparing your everyday carry pouch and you're putting in fishing line and you're saying to yourself, you know, I'm going to need a, I'm going to need a distance, like a altitude and distance computer. I'm going to need a shortwave radio and a fishing line in case the shit goes down. And then you head off to your job, uh, designing apps what shit? Yeah, exactly. Now let's say, let's say an airplane that was hijacked crashes into your building. Okay. You will potentially need a knife. This is another thing that the SWAT guy said to us. He's like, listen, don't, if you're in a situation where you're trapped in a building, um, drywall should not be an impediment to your free movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can, you can take one step back and put your foot through drywall. Yeah. And so be prepared to move through a building. If that building is under attack or let's say on fire, yeah. be prepared to move through that building in whatever direction you, you, uh, you find is available. And if that means kicking your way through some drywall, Jesus, don't sit in a room and die. 
because there's quarter inch of of gypsum <laughs> between you and the next room. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, and everybody in the room kind of nodded and was like, oh, right. And he said, how many of you have kicked through drywall before? And there were like 14 of us that raised our hands. Shit. Yeah. I've kicked through drywall. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Right. So if you need to like people die all the time because they, they go around a corner and think drywall is going to protect them. Like the, the, the killer, let's say the, the, uh, the, the nominal killer in this situation, he can shoot a gun through drywall just as easily as through tissue paper. So, but let's say an airplane crashes into your, uh, into your building. You do potentially need a knife, but you don't really need fishing line, right? I mean, I guess you could repurpose fishing line as, as a, as a little bit of a rope, but like you don't need fishing hooks. I mean, actually the more I think about it, maybe you could use fish. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, like uh, maybe one of your coworkers, uh, you're huddled there. The flames are closing in. Your coworker is crying. I never pierced my ears. Uh, I always wanted to. Mm. And you're like, I've got a, I've got just the tool. No, but so there's everyday carry. And then there's everyday carry. And I am not a, I do not uh, subscribe to this, this subcult. And I don't, when I walk out the door, I don't have a little dish that has my, uh, my compass. I used to carry a compass. And then that, that was one thing that I stopped. I stopped carrying a compass because I don't intend to just need to go need to go across the mountains overland right, in my like, dress a compass shoes. is like a, the a woodsy thing or just i mean when i walked across europe i looked at my compass uh 80 times a day hmm. because it was it was uh, giving me valuable information the 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 difference of a few degrees actually mattered to me and i grew to love my compass and my compass had a little a little mirror in it in order to signal a little signal mirror. Yeah. And so I'd walk along, oh, I'd be awesome. looking, looking at my compass. I'd be looking at the, at the mountains in the distance and kind of using my compass to pick which pass I was headed for. And then I would turn the mirror up just a little bit and I would look at my mustache hmm. because I was 30 years old and I still could not quite grow a mustache. I had a big full beard, but I'm one of those Northern people, those Celtic people Oh yeah, with a mustache. I mean, you had a mustache when you were 11 years old. Yeah, about, but like my mustache just never, it never fulfilled me. It was, (laughs) no, you know, it was like, I see pictures of you all the time with a mustache now. Yeah, but I mean, at 30 years old, I still had kind of a Greg Almond mustache. You mean it's like changed? Almond. Your mustache has changed between 30 and 40-something? Oh, yeah. Really? My mustache at 24 was very, very different from my mustache at 28. Really? And my mustache at 30 was very different from my mustache at 35. So I would look. I was out That's in the wilderness. fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. It was It was infuriating. Mine has this been the same since I was about 17. I know. I know. Well, you are your. But that's, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't. Should I start looking for, I mean, I've got gray now in it. That's, you know, I didn't have before. <laughs> no, your mustache is one of those great mustaches. 
but but you know the yours is the, great. I don't know what the, you're talking about. The people from that. Have you ever looked at a at a at a a diagram of the distribution of redheaded people? No, not recently. <laughs> there's a there's have a you? map. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a map that shows um, in Europe, like specifically where the concentration of redheaded people is, and it's this incredibly narrow little pie slice of Northern Europe where, where it's basically like all the redheaded people (laughs) in the world who are not suffering from some sort of albinism. (laughs) Um, Like I'm sure that's there. uh, There are people in China that have red hair, but it's a component of a, of (laughs) Of a disease of some, of a mutation. Right. Uh (laughs) But all of the people that have red hair, come from this tiny little sliver of Denmark, Iceland, Northern Scotland and Ireland. Like it's just this little, little, uh, sort of like 15, a 15 degree arc of the compass. And all of my people are from there. Uh, going back to the, uh, to as far as we can trace. And in some cases that we've, we can trace it to the 1400s. There's no one from anywhere else. No one from Spain. No one even from Southern France, like nobody outside of this redhead uh, quadrant. And I have, I have uh, of my, how many first cousins do I have? One, two, six. I have six. No, no, no. Wait, seven, eight. I have eight first cousins. And five of them either have bright red carroty hair oh wow and 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 big freckles or have snow white hair so all by which all by way of saying that my mustache is let's call it a danish mustache or a viking mustache and by the time a Viking is 400 years old or even 50 years old, their mustache is big, but you'll notice the, the Vikings let their mustaches grow long. Yeah. They have long mustache. Right. But that longness I think is to conceal the fact that they are, that they're not, they're not like your mustache. They're not like a, an Ashkenazi mustache <laughs> where it's just like, like a, like the, the pelt of a Wolverine. Yeah. It's this sort of, you know, it's this wizard mustache. That's a little bit. Yeah. A little bit wispy or unruly. I've talked enough about my mustache, but, um, well, I don't even know how I got on them. Oh, all right. I was looking at my mustache in my, in, in the my mirror, in your, mirror in your compass mirror and saying, you know, just cause sort of once a day checking in on it, and kind of proudly sort of brushing it from side to side and going, I'm almost there. I'm almost at, uh, I'm, I almost have a mustache that I can be proud of. And I think by the time I got back from that trip, I, I, my, I was proud of my mustache and I have been ever since it was a turning point and part of your everyday carry should include a Swiss army knife that has a set of scissors on it that can keep your mustache trimmed. Sure. 
mean, right? That goes without saying. Because even in the event of a of complete disintegration of our culture, well, you got to look good. You got to want to trim your mustache, keep it out of your food. Of course. You get spaghettios on it. <laughs> we would like to thank Parachute. Parachute is an online betting brand based right here in the good old US of A. Great sleep starts with your sheets. That's their principle, that's their idea. Parachute has created a line of everyday betting essentials from sheets to comforters to give you superior sleep. Parachute's website, it's incredibly straightforward. It's easy to use. They make shopping as simple as possible. You just pick the thing you want and you buy it and it's delivered right to your door and you've got 30 nights risk-free to enjoy it. You can rest easy with that. You don't have to worry. Oh, if you don't like it, guess what? You just send it back. It's as simple as that. Free shipping, free returns. And they give you safe sleep. What does that mean? They're partnered with the United Nations Nothing But Nets to send life-saving bed nets in the fight against malaria. So when you buy from them, you're supporting that. And who doesn't love that? It's awesome. Here's the URL to go to, parachutehome.com slash roadwork. Parachute.com slash roadwork. Get your sheets, duvets, bedding essentials, and you will get $25 off your first order using the code ROADWORK. So again, the URL to go to to support the show is parachutehome.com slash roadwork, and you will save 25 bucks with the code ROADWORK. By the way, I highly recommend the amazing linen sheets. Sounds like they're going to be warm. They're not warm. They're just right. They keep you cool in the summer, warm in the winter. It's amazing. Just my personal preference. Go check it out, parachutehome.com slash roadwork. Dan, have you ever eaten a can of cold SpaghettiOs with a spoon? Of course. Have you, has someone listening to the show not done that? I think that there are a lot of people that have never opened a can of SpaghettiOs and just sat and ate it with a spoon. Oh, the, the question is, and let's, let's get down to brass tacks and semantics and all that. Do you consider SpaghettiOs with meatballs to be, is that a valid thing or is that blasphemous? I think of it as a thought crime. Keep okay. your keep your Chef Boyardee meatballs out of my SpaghettiOs. Um, SpaghettiOs are a perfect food. Okay. <laughs> Just like Hershey's chocolate was a perfect chocolate. Well, but I don't... I, Do you I have a can of SpaghettiOs on hand by chance and I one from like, Canada? I feel like the, I feel like the Canadians are going to have the same SpaghettiOs as we are. And the English are going to say, oh, no. SpaghettiOs don't compare to a can of Heinz beans. Right, or Spotted Dick or something, whatever that but is. But you tell me that you sit around eating cold Heinz beans out of a can, no. and I'll give, you a, I'll give you a medal for marksmanship, which is a reference to the fact that yesterday I was at, uh, I was at a Goodwill, and I found a framed set of black powder musket oh. marksmanship medals from the late 60s, and I, I sat and I, and I petted them and I, I, I headed to the cash register and then I walked back and I put it back on the shelf and I really had a come to Jesus moment where I was like, listen, this has been planted here by agents of a foreign power to tempt you. <laughs> but, but honestly, what are you going to do with this? It's a, it, they are black powder 
marksmanship medals from the 60s. I know that's amazing. You're saying you I, resisted this? I know just saying those words out loud, it, it does not it does not in any way like change your feelings about the fact that you should have this, but, but no, no, don't buy this. And I really, Oh, I, I, I turned the thing over. I turned it over in my, in my hands to see if the name of the, of the black powder marksman was written somewhere on it. And I, you know, I turned them upside down. I, and then I left it. I left it. This and, is a big step for you. Well, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. It was like, there is nothing I'm going to do with this. I'm not going to display it. And I'm not going to take these medals off and put them on a jacket arranged as though they are Soviet World War II medals <laughs> right. and wear that to a show, right? I am not Prince. Or Michael Jackson. Right. I don't, I'm not going to put epaulets on anything anymore. Leave it. And I, oh my goodness. I, I walked away from it and it was like, it was like I was trying to escape the death star and the tractor beam was still on. Oh man. But then somehow right at the last minute, R2 went, and then the tractor beam was gone and boom, hyperspace. Nice. Got out of there. But, uh, but, <laughs> but I would give you that. I would give you that medal if you ate a can of Heinz beans with a spoon. But SpaghettiOs. So I found, you know, the brand Annie's. Like Amy's, they make the, uh, oh, Annie's. It's Annie's, right? Or is it Amy's? They no, make the, the, the nat, supposedly natural macaroni. All and natural cheese. macaroni and cheese is in the shape of a little rabbit, little bunny. Yeah. 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 Annie's 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 homegrown maybe Amy's I think it, well I, whoever she is it's Annie's homegrown she was good whoever she is I I I trust that she is doing good things because she claims to on she her uses a rabbit on it yeah how could yeah. it be bad I know I know I feel the same way if she, if someone named Annie is telling me that her macaroni and cheese is good for me I accept it yeah of course I, I accept it and Annie now is making canned SpaghettiOs. Really? That taste pretty good. Look at that. Canned meals. Yeah. Oh, look at the cheesy ravioli they, they got. They got cheesy ravioli. And so I just bought two cans of cheesy ravioli and two cans of SpaghettiOs from this, uh, from this woman that I trust implicitly. Huh. And I ate the other night. I opened the SpaghettiOs. And I ate them cold, which is the ultimate test. Oh, yes. Like, sure, you can cook your SpaghettiOs. You can even cook them, cook the ones with meatballs. They taste pretty good. But are you going to sit on the back bumper of your car and eat a can of SpaghettiOs with meatballs in them cold? No, now here's, you are not. Here's something. I'm looking at this. I want to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. Annie's Homegrown Organic. They're called Bernie-O's. Yeah. Now I didn't understand that. Is that a Bernie Sanders reference? I have I I don't know. Yeah. Or is the rabbit is the rabbit named Bernie? Uh oh. Now I'm gonna have to figure this out. Is the rabbit named Bernie? I thought the rabbit was named Annie. <laughs> I think Annie I think Annie's Annie's Annie. Annie is That's an actual a, human. 
Uh, I, well, that I don't know either. Organic Bernios. Oh, non-GMO, no artificial Good. flavors, colors, or preservatives. Good. Cheese from cows not treated with growth hormone. All right. And then a uh, little addenda. No significant difference has been shown between milk derived from RBST treated and non-RBST yeah. treated cows. Um, I am not a doctor. This this medication does not per, uh, does not uh, <laughs> pretend to be medication. All right. Ingredients produced without antibiotics, synthetic hormones, or persistent pesticides. Right. Pesticides that like stay in your, but they can use, <laughs> Col- they can use you mean colon or just, you know, that, that, uh, that stay that, that will like end up in the, cause in a the whistle, waste. a whistle can mean so many things. Yeah. I don't think it, I, I wasn't saying that it can end up in your pooper oh. like, like a finger can. You yeah, know what I mean, like a finger. If a finger gets in your pooper, it's coming from the other direction. Bernie's farm animal cookies. She makes these also. I think Bernie is the rabbit. Not no relation to Sanders. Well, so now she also has all stars, which are also seem like it's just pasta in tomato and cheese sauce. Yeah, just like Bernie's. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But they're shaped like stars instead of O's and rabbits. Yeah. And I don't want that either. I don't want. Uh, it's got to be the O shape. I mean, and the thing is, so you're, found, but you're off the gluten free thing now. Then, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm in the desert. Yeah, I'm in the gluten free. De- I'm in the gluten desert. Uh, what did I have? Oh, I went to see the, I went to see Flight of the Concords the other night, and I was in the kind of VIP area where they had all the cookies you could eat. That looked like you were backstage, looking kind of sideways across the stage, out toward the audience, almost. Yeah, and I was uh, I was just eating I was eating cookies by the handful, and I was like, "Look how far I've fallen." None of my friends are doing this because they all are not insane. Were you just sho- just shoveling them in? Yeah, I'm just like you got time. Rubber, you got to make up for lost time. Rubber, 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 rubber. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. But uh, but the first comment here on Bernie's O's says so good and no metal aftertaste like SpaghettiOs, and that is a problem with SpaghettiOs, isn't it? A little metallic taste. Right. Because I heard somewhere that tomato leeches uh, heavy metal from cans. And you shouldn't eat tomato sauce from cans because it's leaching. There's some kind of a, a, because it's acidic, right? And it does, it does something. Yeah, it leeches. And I don't know, I don't know what it's leaching. It's leaching metal, and I don't want that, but I don't know how much of that to believe. Like, is it leaching metal in the four uh, the four weeks between when it was manufactured and when I eat it, or is it leaching metal if I keep it in my bomb shelter for 15 years? Yeah. So here's- Which, by uh, the way, should be not that big of a concern if you're in the bomb shelter for four years. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not, right. I'm not going to be worried is the tomato sauce leaching at that point. You That's are, not my number one concern. You are especially right. Yeah. But now I've gone to treehugger.com, which I have bookmarked, as you can imagine. Yeah, right. Because that's where I get all my, uh, the good discounts on different Frisbee discs. Uh-huh. Treehugger.com for a greener future. And they say, consumers reports confirms uh, bisphenol A leaches from tin cans. Oh, there you go. Two new bits of research. 
uh, a new study by members of the reproductive toxology branch of the EPA did not find any evidence that bisphenol A or BPA was a gender bender in female rats. BPA does not alter sexually dimorphic behavior, puberty, fertility, and anatomy of female LE rats. And I'd like to know what LE rats are. Mm-hmm. Seems like, wasn't there an Apple LE, like a Mac SE, LE? The S- well, there's oh, a Mac SE, SE, now there's a phone, an iPhone SE. I wonder if there are SE rats and if they're compatible. <laughs> now, but, well, before we get too, too far away yeah. from the, the apocalypse. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the apocalypse uh, vehicle. Yeah. I I do want to know what you're thinking of. Are you, have you kind of decided on the cop car for that? What would be for the listeners and myself who are kind of now interested in getting their own apocalypse vehicles? Like, how did you narrow it down to a police car? Is that what you think you're going to get? Uh, what are the requirements for this that has no electrical components in it at all? Because well, no, even so, the starter, the solenoid, is going to be affected by an EMP, right? I you think, can't hand crank. You're not going back to a Model T or something you can hand crank. I, I think, think an EMP a, affects the starter. It kills the battery in the car. Does you, it really? Yeah. But I, but I think you can... Well, let's see. So, so in that case, you would need a manual transmission car... Let's see, EMP, well, if I put an EMP car, it's going to be, oh, no, it has, first thing, EMP effects on vehicles at futurescience.com. Yeah, I got that in the show notes already. Oh, you have that, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because it, this, is a con- this is a concern. These are concerns. Let's see, study the matter, uh, so if, well, in it case says people, here, okay, okay, we have listeners right now who are saying, what the heck is an EMP? What are they talking about? It's an electromagnetic pulse. You can, you can see an EMP as a side effect of a nuclear bomb, a nu- nuclear detonation. There are also types of bombs, nuclear in nature, that depending on where they are exploded, high, high, high up in the atmosphere, for example, uh, and, and other mechanisms where a an EMP pulse, an electromagnetic pulse, a bomb generating one of these that would be incredibly powerful, it could be done in a way that is only designed to disable our infrastructure, disable our ability to communicate, to get around, to have what we think of as a modern society without really doing any physical damage to a city or to to... Uh, to human beings, it would just be used as a disruptive attack. It could be an initial attack, for example. It could be, but it would significantly disable the bulk of humans that were affected by it. And depending on where it's detonated and when, it could have a tremendously sweeping effect on huge, huge, huge area, not just a a city, but potentially many cities. If it's detonated up high enough. Well, so this, uh, this EMP effects on video or on vehicles uh, essay here by Jerry Emanuelson, who is an electrical engineer. Uh, he says that in most cases you can unhook the battery and reset everything. It's really more of a disruption than it is like a, a total frying. So it doesn't kill the, the battery. You could like 
just dis, dis, disconnect, reconnect, and you're back. You're back in business. I well, that's what he seems to indicate. And and uh, and yeah, right. Like that's good be, news. There's got to be. I think that I think that there are probably many many ways to initiate an EMP that are not that don't depend on detonating a nuclear bomb. Right. There's got to be like just EMP bombs. Just a purely, but doesn't it still involve some kind of? Well, let's say, for instance, Dan, and I don't want to. I don't want to always be the guy that keeps going back to the UFOs. But you don't think the UFOs, if they're hovering over the, uh, hovering over your city and one of their motherships, is oh no, there, they uh, could do it. Sure, they're just going to go. Yeah, that's easy. And then EMP, and everybody's car stops. It's a done deal. That's mostly a way of getting everybody's attention. Like, hey. Get your solar powered radios out because we've got some stuff to say. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything quits, right? But that's the type of thing where I would still like to be able to drive my suburban around. Yeah. There's I also think, something called an EMP cannon. See, EMP cannon. Yeah. Most of this stuff, Dan, is just fun, right? It's like it's like uh, it's like that game I play in airports where if you land in an airport in the middle of the night. And that feeling of an airport in the middle of the night, like particularly Newark for oh, some reason. Oh, I've flown through Newark. Yeah. And Newark airport is one thing, but Newark airport in the middle of the night is a totally different thing. What's it like? Well, it's just like you're in an empty airport. It's, it feels very much like there's a post-apocalyptic element to an airport right. in the middle of the night. And particularly right. if you're like, you have to leave the airport and go get a rental car somewhere like there's it's weird. And so one of the games I like to play is, and this is a game I don't just play in airports. I play it all the time. Like I'm being followed. Got to figure out who, who's following me. Got to ditch them. And it's just fun. It's just to, it's just to make life fun. It's just fun to walk out of the house and say, what if a volcano erupts today? What if, uh, you know, what if, what if a bomb goes off and all of a sudden all of civilization is wrecked? How, what do I do? Like, that's just fun. It's just gaming. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think that you're not that living in fear. No, quite the opposite. Like it's, uh, it's exciting because if something happens and I'm going to die, if I'm going to die suddenly, who cares if I'm going to die, uh, gradually, I would like it to at least be on my own on as many of my own terms as I, as I can muster, right? Like I don't want to just get on a, get on a train that's headed to a vacation camp in Eastern Europe and not reflect on the history of these events, right? Or just like, Hmm, this has happened before. I don't think I want to get on this train. And there's, there's a, there's an element of just walking around with this mindfulness that, that does help other things, right? It keeps me from getting run over by a car. Mm -hmm. It keeps me from eating a sandwich that has a plastic bag in Mm -hmm. it because somebody put the ground beef in and just didn't get all the plastic bags out of them. It's that little bit of like looking at things. So it's not, it's not based in any kind of paranoia. It's based purely in a feeling that life is fun. Why not make it funner by imagining extreme scenarios, I guess is what it is. Imagine extreme scenarios as a way of adding a little bit of extra, uh, just an, just extra color, extra color to the day. 
And if you're, if every time you drive, you're picturing one of the people, one of the fellow people on the road with you deciding at that moment that he can no longer tolerate his divorce and he's just going to start driving into people. What if that happens? Right. That's, it's not funny to the imaginary guy who's suffering from a divorce, but it's funny to me to imagine what if one of these cars starts driving crazy? What would I do? So it's, it's all, it's all to do with that. And I think that the, I think that everyday carry and, and keep a small bag packed. Those are only fun as long as you don't feel like, as long as you don't start getting crazy. And as long as you don't, as long as you're not like, Oh shit, I feel naked because I don't have my multi-tool on. Right. Me today. Right. Right. Like ease up, ease up. Everything's going to be fine. You're just going to work and going home. You don't, you're not going to have to, you're not going to have to feed your family with your fishing line. Probably this afternoon, it's not going to end up being a problem, but there, but, but part of that fun, what, what is it? It's, um, I mean, it's a certain kind of fun and I think it, re, it, it relies it's like on a what if a what if game, a what if scenario. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of role playing. It might, you know, I it, think there's a John. I think there is a certain kind of mind that does this, and a certain kind of mind that, or that does it naturally, and a kind that doesn't. Like I remember when I was sentenced to my eight hour uh, driving school mm-hmm. uh, thing, and one of the things the driving instructor uh, who was there, you know, t- teaching us, uh, said, he said, you know, always, always, always be playing the what if game when you're on the oh. road. Always be closing. Also, always be closing. And if if this car that's in front of you, what if they were to slam on the brakes right now? What what would you do? What if the car next to you were to swerve into your car? What would you do? And not not in a way that's supposed to keep you in a state of of panic and fear, but in a state that that keeps your mind active, keeps your mind focused on on the road, and keeps your mind focused on what you're doing. And I I had sort of done that naturally, but there were a lot of people in the class that were like. I never thought about that, you know, that they're, they're very much in their own world when they're driving, you know, that it, it, like it never occurred to them to be thinking outside of that little sphere that they're in that bubble that they're in when they're flying down the road. I'm always thinking about that. Always. Those are the arguments against tailgating, right? Right. Like you're tailgating because you're trying to get around this guy, but what if he slams on his brakes? You can never be sure he won't. And you know, I always use the I always use the male pronoun he because it's always the he, right? <laughs> All right. Like the 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 SWAT guy showed a a list of, or showed a, a montage of pictures of various people, and he was like, "Which one of these is a serial killer, or which one of these is a is a, a mass shooter?" Right. And obviously, because he's a corn cornball. The answer was all of them. All of They're them, all yeah. mass shooters. Of course, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to sit up here and show us a slideshow of people. And it's like, only two of these are mass shooters. Like, and within the mass shooter community, uh, there have been a couple of women, but typically of the 4,000 mass shootings that have happened in America so far this year, eh, most of them are guys enough that you can generalize and generalize with a male pronoun. And I think the guy that is suffering a bad divorce and decides to take out as many people as he can, also a guy. Um, just, uh, but, but I should say, 
someone driving in the fast lane who suddenly slams on their brakes for no reason, that could be someone of any gender.